Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this leadership episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Casablo. And today, holy smokes, it is who Mark calls Patty D, Patricia Duchesne, the CRO over at Postal. And holy smokes, this was one to watch. Mark, why should people listen? Listen, I think Patty, of all the episodes we've done so far, we haven't done a ton, Armand, but I think this might be setting the bar very high. She has two things that I think are so actionable that literally after you listen to this podcast, I think you could start them and level up. They're just like ABC, do this real quick, make it happen. This is not a theoretical podcast. This is a podcast for people that want to do stuff. Let's do it. And a three, two, one, ABC. Let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang and you can get Get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Alrighty, Patty, welcome to the show. We start every show with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. Tip number one would be start at end of week 15 minute standups. So keyword there, 15, 15 minutes, never longer. And it really shouldn't be much shorter. The idea here is that you get your entire team in a room, virtual or in person, depending on what your office policy is. And every single person on a Monday morning is going to call their shot. This includes things like activity metrics, calls they want to make for the week, meeting set, how far they want to progress certain deals. And ideally, they're going to include something along the lines of like, I want to get the decision maker at ABC company to commit to a call. It's called team accountability. So everybody makes their call. It goes into a public space, whether that's a Google Doc or some type of like work management software, and it's shared. On Friday morning, not Friday the end of day, Friday morning that exact same group comes together. And they're going to meet for 15 minutes, and they're going to call where they are against those targets. And then they're going to say what they're going to do with the rest of their Friday to get to what they called on Monday. 
creates team accountability, it creates hustle culture on a Friday, and it really gives like that end of week punch to your targets. Whoa, Boom. hustle culture. I know. Hustle I was going to say that trigger word right there. All right, let's roll into number two. Um, next one. So situation behavior impact framework. It's really helpful when doing call coaching deal review. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're you're on a you're on a call with a sales rep, and maybe they do a great job managing introductions, figuring out the lay of the land. But then they hit the prospect with a ten minute slide deck where they just talk at the prospect for a solid ten minutes, and you can see over the course of the call they lose the audience's attention. Afterwards, you get with that AE, and you're like, hey. At the beginning of that call, so you put them back in the situation, you did a great job understanding who was who. You asked people why they were there. You asked what they wanted to get out of the call. But then you followed that with a 10-minute slide deck presentation, and you didn't ask a single question. When you look at this call recording, you can see that you lost Susie Lou's attention around minute six. And we know, based off the questions you asked in the beginning, that she was the decision maker. That meant for the rest of the call... She was on her computer and she wasn't paying attention. What could we do differently next time? So you put them in the situation, you describe the behavior that you saw them exhibit, and then you explain the impact. This removes a lot of the emotion that sometimes comes with feedback, and it allows them to see why you're giving them the feedback that you are. Boom. The behavior is that was a great tip, Patty. And the impact is that I would mm -hmm. like to hear your third tip before we start the interview. <laughs> All right. Third tip. Three by three by threes. So one of the parts about being in leadership that I don't feel like is talked about enough is that part of our responsibility is managing up. It's not just managing down. And this can be very challenging because oftentimes we view our, our leaders with very high regard and we aren't sure really what we're supposed to do if they don't necessarily directly ask us for something. So something that I've gotten really accustomed to doing is every single Friday, I prepare my three by three by three. It is the three good things that happened this week across my org. It is three negative or down things that happened across my org. And then the three things that my org or I am going to do next week. And I deliver this every single Friday end of day. This means that I don't get fishing questions from my leadership. They know exactly what's going on. And if you can create an environment where you have leaders all submitting these or all sharing these amongst the leadership team, it creates an incredible amount of transparency between departments. Love it, Patty T. Let me ask you a quick question. I want to go back to your second one, the situation behavior impact model. I think it's mm -hmm. super, super interesting. And I think that Feedback is probably the most important thing that we do as leaders. Like how else do people improve? How else do they know what's going on? When you're giving feedback, I think it's always a mystery of how does feedback get logged, tracked, and executed on over time? So giving somebody feedback in the moment is semi-useful. How, how do you extend it past that one conversation so that a rep actually does it? Mm -hmm. Well, the hard part about feedback in general is that like it is often in, in the moment and we also don't make a ton of time for it unless you're on the call or you've made time to actually review a call with a rep, which for many sales leaders today, like that's, that's, that they're really lucky if they have time to do that. Um, it's hard. And so one of the things that I think is important to do is to really manage what you're working on with each individual rep. So core competencies should be reviewed on kind of like a monthly, depending on how big it is, could be quarterly basis, and really try outside of little tweaks to limit your feedback to 
one core area on a timeline. So let's let's keep month for the sake of this conversation. So let's say you're working with Susan. She's a sales rep. And in my example, she really struggles with how to kick off her demo. She feels like she's got to talk at. And so for the entire month, you are focusing on really the first 15 minutes of her demo. Mm. How does she create engagement? And if you're able to just have one focus area, it's a part of every single 101. And your 101s need to be not just auditory. Obviously, they should be logged and tracked and written somewhere, however your company wants to do it. But it should be public space. And it should be in every single deal review. It, should, it could be brought up in your in your standups that we talked about at the beginning of the call. It's like Susie could say part of what she wants to do that week is she's like, I'm going to have two people answer questions during the first 10 minutes of my demo. And, and if you can do this over a time period, like a month, the next month you pick the next thing. It's like, hey, we're having a really hard time, Susie, asking for a next step at the end of your demo. And you're crushing the demos, but now it's like we're losing deals at this stage and we can't get them on another call. We don't aren't sending expectations uh, on what needs to happen on both sides. And now that's what we're working on for the next month. You got to remember like people can only take so much feedback at a single time. Yeah. They can only take so much feedback. And also I think the other thing is, is they can only change so much at a time. So listen, I get all, I get everything you're saying, like do a little chunk, reinforce it all the time. Mm -hmm. We both know that like 80% of reps still aren't going to do anything about it. Like how are you switching it around and getting 80% to do something about it? Well, I think it's the impact piece. Hmm. So there's a change management framework. Uh, Simon Sinek came out with the whole start with why, the golden mm -hmm. circle. I'm sure you guys are familiar. By explaining the impact, you're giving them the why. And if they can create a positive impact on their target and their quota and their cash, they're more likely to make a change. It's the what's in it for me component. That's the impact. Hmm. One mistake that I used to make is, I would write all of my notes as I was taking a call with a rep. And what I would do is I would just send them my notes after the call and it had 20 points of mm. feedback. And what I learned is I actually <laughs> needed to take all of that, still take all of my notes, and then delete every bullet except for two that were time stamped to the specific mm -hmm. moments. Because if I gave them 20, they would take nothing. How do you dose this in a way? Just ignore things that are going wrong in the calls but you also don't overwhelm them. Every leader takes notes like that on a live on a call. I have a, I have a framework. I have pluses and minuses, and it's just like rapid fire, plus, minus, plus, 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 minus. And so I have got the good and the bad, and I carve out 15 minutes after that call to organize it. Not just pluses and minuses, but themes. And it's only the theme that makes the biggest impact is what I'm going to deliver. Outside of a couple positives, like, hey, you crushed that closing. But when it comes to actually behavioral change. I'm going to focus on the theme that I think is going to get them the furthest along. How do you get leaders to separate preference from best practice? How are you getting those like best practice things of this is how we're going to do it because we know it's more effective versus I know that you like to give the agenda with bullet points, but I really like it when it's like numbered instead. I, I'm going to sound really repetitive. It's the impact to bullet points versus numbers <laughs> really matter. <laughs> <laughs> but like the impact is really all that matters. And I do think there's obviously some managers that are like still stuck in the way that was taught, you know, 30, 40 mm -hmm. years ago. Sales reps move and change when they can see that it's going to positively impact them. And if there's nothing in it for them by changing, you know, bullet points in your example, they're not very likely to do it. But when you can prove to them and show them that maybe a different closing process is more effective, they're going to do it. And you really just need one example. You need to work one time and for them to see it. And I'm sure there's someone on the team 
more likely than not, that's already doing it, take that person and put them on a pedestal and show them like, hey, this is a killer demo. Make it a team lunch and learn. Like here are the points where they were exceptional. They did what we believe is best practice, which is most likely to get you to the next step in the deal Mm. and highlight that person. Everybody wants to be put on a pedestal in sales. So oftentimes I find that when managers, leaders, what have you are deconstructing calls, it's just a complete stream of consciousness throughout a 30 minute call that they're watching. It sounds like you're pretty particular around your pluses, your minuses, how you're sectioning the call and how you're synthesizing what's there. You Mm -hmm. mentioned a framework you have. Would you be comfortable walking through how you deconstruct a call? So the way I take notes and then I'll go through what I do with them. So it's pluses and minuses and I take them as the call transpires. Old school, before there were things like the gongs and the kayas of the world, I wrote them down or typed them out. And I tried to timestamp every couple of bullets so I knew roughly where I was at in the call. I then take them. And the first thing I do is I break it out um, by basically intro, presentation, if there is one. I call it more discovery. So you got intro, discovery, demo, and then you have closing. And so I'm going to organize then my feedback, pluses and minus, in those areas. And I'm going to try to find common threads. So if there are themes, for example, talking at or the avoidance of questions, that could cross all of these. But I could also just see that you know I, I have a ton of pluses in my intro and discovery, and then my demo is just negatives. That is how I look at it. It's basically the course of a call like that. I'm going to break it by its sections, and then I'm going to look for cross-section themes, if that makes sense. And then I'm going to do the importance, the importance analysis, which is actually the most important and what's going to make the biggest impact. Is it a theme across all of them? Or is it like, we don't know how to demo in a way that's engaging or adaptive to our prospect? Super interesting. I love how you're breaking the call into the sum of its parts. So you have your intro, your discovery, your demo, your closing, but then you're not just like checklisting every single one of those. Again, you're trying to see what are the common trends across this entire call. And so I'm curious, let's say you see some things that the team is struggling with in broad base, or one rep is really nailing in a certain theme. You mentioned putting that rep on a pedestal and having them train the entire team on a demo tape review. I'm curious, how do you address some of the common themes that you're seeing across your reps in a team training environment? So I I do think the process of having a seller train the team is always best because It's kind of like, don't take it from me because you probably don't believe I've ever sold something. Take it from a rep. But I love having reps do trainings for a few reasons. One, obviously they listen more, but two, I think for that individual contributor, it's incredibly empowering. You know, it's not every day that you get to lead your team in, in an exercise. I take presentations very seriously. I think presenting or learning how to present, even if in a small room, is a very powerful skill set. But here's the, 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 tr- the turkey part, is it can't just be a deck. Ideally, it's including snippets of calls that they've used this tactic or behavior really, really well, so they can back up what they're saying with evidence. And then, of course, you know, in, in including some type of like participation. Like, hey, let's actually go and try to apply it. I think that while it's super uncomfortable doing like impromptu cold calls in front of people is great. Everybody fails. And I learned how to sell sitting next to people and listening to other people fail. And we lose a lot of that. So creating environments where you can do a little bit of that more often, I think is really impactful. 
How do you think about sample size, Patty? Because a manager can go in and coach a call or two, but like Mm -hmm. a rep has 20 calls a week, 100 calls a month, like, and you're looking at four. No, no manager has the time, I don't think, to go in and listen to 20 Mm -hmm. calls a week with a rep. Like, how are you solving for, are we really nailing what's important for this rep or not? You're never going to get to perfection. I think we have to get super comfortable with that in general. My cadence, two calls, two weeks. Because there's some weeks I can bang out two calls for a rep in one week. And there's other weeks where it's like, it's just not going to happen this week. Mm -hmm. So two calls, two weeks. And depending on your sales process, if AEs are doing, you know, they're doing cold calls and they're doing discovery and they're doing demos, you want to cover all parts of the sales process. So at least one of each, but you're never going to know. You have to have faith though, that, you know, if they don't know which call you're picking, you're going to get, you're going to get a fair sample size over time. The other alternative, and it depends on your relationship with your team is like, you can ask them, I need you to send me a call you're proud of this week and a call you're not proud of. Depends on, you know, the, the environment that you've created, but that's another way you can do it. It's tough right now. I, I'm not talking to a single revenue leader I know of that says every deal isn't hairy. It, we don't have the coverage that we want. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everybody's just really uh, working hard right now. What are a couple of things in calls that you're seeing or hearing about that are just like things that leaders really need to pay attention to right now to make a difference? You need to be dead set that your buyer understands the approval process internally and has done it recently. Hmm. Let's say past six months. Anyone who's bought something past six months ago does not know what it's going to take to buy something now in every single company, no matter the size. So you have to be super confident that your champion, your catalyst, whatever terminology you decide to use, has bought something and understands what it's going to take to get something across the line. And if they don't, you start asking more questions. How do you figure out if your reps are asking those questions when you're probably overseeing at times hundreds of opportunities? If you're fortunate enough to have the likes of the gongs or the kayas of the world leveraging keywords and looking for how many times, you know, they ask about the CFO. The CFO is involved in so many deals now. I'm sure I'm sure Mark, you're probably seeing this as well. When was the last time the CFO necessarily cared about you know certain technology purpose purchases? But now it's like any dollar out it matters. Yeah. Um, so you can use technology like that. It's definitely challenging at scale for sure. Patty, I'm seeing like you sitting down. It's three thirty on Friday afternoon. It's awesome in SLO. The the waves are calling. The wineries mm-hmm. wineries want me to be there. Yes, oh, yeah. you're about to sit down. I know your CEO Eric. He's probably literally got some kind of automation thing that says if Patty doesn't send this to me by 5 p.m. on Fridays, all over you, right? So you sit down. How do you avoid recency bias and just put the stuff that's happened today or the the day before? Like, how are you actually getting a comprehensive? These are the mm-hmm. three by three by three things without just doing it in your mind right then and there in the moment. So the first thing I do is I actually pull up my calendar because mm. I want to remember every meeting that I had over the course of the week. Sometimes that'll jog my memory and be like, oh yeah, we did meet with them on Tuesday. That's relevant because it absolutely can. It can be like, okay, well, these are the three deals I was on this morning. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Yeah. So I pull my calendar and they also use our OKRs. So we're trying to be really, really thoughtful about our OKRs as a company, as an org department level. And so I'll use both the calendar and the OKRs to decide what it is that I'm putting here. Because what Eric cares about is what we're doing to get to our OKRs. Mm -hmm. And so the things that I put here 
need to show that we are working towards those targets and those metrics. Mm. Are you like logging stuff throughout the week? Is it like a running email that you keep open in a draft thing? Or are you literally just kind of going through the calendar and like summarizing it on, on Friday? It's, it's not super sophisticated, but I do use private Slack messages mm. and I'll just like send myself notes throughout the week. And then I'll look at that with the calendar and the OKRs and it's like, okay, well, this is what I've got. But I use, I'm a big fan of Slack private messages. I have no idea if that's what it was intended for, but it keeps me totally sane. And it's like my running list of, oh, I should make sure that they know about this. My big thing with Eric is like, when he's asking me a question, it should be thoughtful and it should be forward thinking. And it should never be like, did you do this? Or why didn't this happen? He should mm -hmm. already know if it did or didn't happen. I used to do something similar when I was running the paved sales org with my CEO. And one thing that I struggled with is the altitude mm -hmm. of the updates. In other words, should I be sharing macro insights or more micro insights? So a macro insight would be, hey, it looks like we're starting to lose deals for these types of reasons. We're seeing this in our win rates or overall pipe gen is pacing behind where we would expect it to be, right? Typically like referencing larger sets of data mm -hmm. versus, hey, we have these two key deals in the crosshair and I really need to get involved in these two. Are you doing both? Are you saving the more macro insights for a monthly or a less frequent update? How do you think about the different levels of an update that you're sending upward? So in the example of those two key deals, if those are 50%, I'm going to include it. But if they're two exciting logos, but not that big when it comes to ARR, I wouldn't include it. When it comes to the macro stuff, I, I never write a macro without backing it with data or examples. Mm. Hey, we're starting to lose deals because X competitor has ABC functionality and, and we don't. I know for a fact that is going to be copy and pasted and sent to product. So if I don't include examples, I'm just gonna get a grumpy slack from product. Mm -hmm. Examples uh, give them an opportunity to go in and dig for more information. How do you do this with sales managers? that report into you? Are you having them do a similar type of update? What is the level of information or what do you expect from the people that are reporting into you? For sales managers, expect it to be really tactical. Like that's their bread and butter. That's what they live in is like, it should be deals. Like we've, we feel like we're losing control of this deal. This is their opportunity basically to raise the orange or red flag. I expect it to be very much pipeline related. I don't expect them to come with any macro assessments. I want it to be very, very tactical. Where do you need assistance? Who on your team deserves a public shout out because they're just like crushing lead gen or they're crushing their close one ratios, whatever it may be. Let's say in your three by mm -hmm. three, you start to identify some trends that are like, okay, like markets turn in, this is getting a little bit more challenging. And I'm expecting that this is going to be a little bit harder than we thought it was going to be on the onset, right? I'm curious when you start to identify some downward trends, right? How do you make it mm -hmm. so that people aren't just prying into every single deal in your pipeline, but rather they're actually seeking to help the sales organization that might be going through a tougher time? If when you start to see trends, and we'll use the product example, where you're starting to lose deals because of XYZ feature function, whatever that doesn't exist, taking that to your head of product and saying, we have a problem. How are we going to fix it? And giving them the opportunity to say like, hey, this is a positioning thing. 
and acknowledging it that you could have a positioning problem, which is very much in control of go to market and ideating on like, do you could are there changes to the way that we're pitching our product? Are there changes to the website that make it way more appetizing to the ICP that you're trying to address that maybe is finding this other tool to have more features and functions? But it needs to be a wee thing. I have a saying which I I completely stole from a mentor of mine who now works at our competitor. It's 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 terrible mentor mentee relationship <laughs> now, by the way. But it's assume positive intent. And so I made it very clear to a head of product. His name is Jeff. We have a good relationship. And I'm always like, assume positive intent anytime I come with you. And anytime I come bring something to you, assume positive intent. I fully will never point my finger at you, but I do expect you to be my teammate and help me solve. Some of the most dangerous moments that I had when I was a VP of sales was when these conversations hit the boardroom before they hit the one-on-one. -on -one. So for example, I would send an update to my CEO and all the alarms would be ringing. And it was like, as a seven person executive team, we're going to talk about why we're losing deals in market. And we're going to figure out if it's a product thing or a sales execution thing or a marketing thing in a seven person cage match. And everyone is ready to kill each other. And so I'm curious when you have one of these situations, how, how can I manage these types of news better? And what is the right way to manage this with your fellow executives without mm -hmm. all of a sudden ringing the alarms and then every single executive is down each other's throats? So use your EQ. And if you feel that something you're going to put, for example, in your three by three is going to cause your CEO to have an emergency meeting Monday morning to bring all the troops together to be like, how are we going to solve this? And it's going to put the spotlight on marketing or on product or another one of your peers. You're not going to put that in your three by three. You're instead going to have a one-on-one -on -one with that department head. You're going to say, hey, I have a fiduciary obligation to bring this to, to, to my CEO. We got to tell him because we have a problem. You and I should come with a proposal on how we're going to fix it before we do that. You got to have some EQ. And the ones who don't are really the ones who fizzle out the fastest because you just end up burning a ton of bridges. So I think EQ, Patty, is one of those things that you hear conceptually. You don't really understand it until you kind of have experienced it. Mm -hmm. You have that first time where you're like, oh, I didn't do this when I thought I was and I actually got a way better reaction or response or result or whatever. If you're talking to a, a young leader that's listening to this podcast and you're like, hey, here's a quick way to understand EQ or a quick way to grab EQ. Like how, how are you helping young leaders with that kind of stuff? I'm going to go back to the situation behavior impact. Going back to impact, put yourself in your peers' shoes or in that other person's shoes, what are they going to think? How are they going to feel when you say X, Y, Z? And if you're going to put them in a position to be defensive, how can we augment your feedback, your advice, your statement, so that instead they would like to participate in the conversation? Because the worst thing you do is make someone on the defensive and all they're doing is just guarding. They're guarding their decisions, they're guarding their team. And instead, be far more productive if it's engaging. And so having that conversation, I think is really important. And I think that all new leaders have an experience where somebody's done it to them. Sure. And so you can almost use that situation behavior impact to explain like, look, remember when, when so-and-so was, was poking holes in your pipeline and it didn't make you feel super great. <laughs> like, let's think about what could they have said that maybe would have encouraged you to actually open up your book of business and ask for help instead of just defending the decisions that you made. I always have this visualization in my head that like we're all on a boat and every exec or leader has an oar. And the minute you piss someone off, they drop their oar. 
they can't focus on rowing because they're so focused on defending. And so like, how do you keep everyone rowing the boat and solving problems? Well, Patty, this has been absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, it's not 40 minutes to President's Club. It's 30 minutes to President's Club. So we have to move to the final question. And the final question is, what is one thing that if every sales leader in the world stopped doing it, every revenue team out there would get a little bit better? If every single sales leader would care more about their team's ability to execute and what their team has waiting for them after work than their ego and their image, teams would be a lot better off. Boom. Check it out the door, folks. And check out the Mark and Mondo recap coming up soon right after this one. Patty, thank you for joining the show. This was fantastic. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free. All right, Mark, what'd you think? Well, Armand, listen, I think this three by three by three thing that Patty talks about, super interesting. I think it creates a framework that might create enough separation between you and a CEO or a CRO or a VP, whoever you're kind of doing it up to, that lets you have a little bit more freedom, but also keeps them connected enough to what you're doing that they don't feel like you're out there, like kind of just freestyle and everything. Yeah, one, one of the things that I learned is, if you get to the point where your CEO doesn't know what's going on and they start to ask you questions, you've already lost the battle. Your goal is to give them more information than they need earlier than they need it so that they almost assume that things are going well in the white space where you didn't give them an update. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, Armand, like I struggle with this area. I am too busy doing, and I don't spend enough time communicating what I'm doing. And then I'll get a question of, how's this going? And somebody feels a little heated. I'm like, well, we've been doing that for three weeks and this is what's happening. Yeah. And they're like, well, why didn't I know? And I'm telling you, avoiding that kind of 
communication and relationship cycle is really, really important if you want to have an effective relationship with uh, the person that you're managing up to. That's exactly right. Alrighty, folks. Well, if you enjoyed this one, go connect with Patty D on LinkedIn and stay Mm -hmm. tuned for the next one. Cheers, folks. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.